Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online they continue to get it done as the number one betting source for you. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, we have golf, horse racing, and everything heating up this Major League Baseball season as well. You'll get latest odds, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Just log on today to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to get started. But listen up. Make sure you use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag or your mobile device. BetOnline. Get started today. BetOnline is where the game starts. You know, it is that time of year in sports where it is all heating up, not just the weather, but the events. We're coming off the NFL draft. We have MLB. We've got the NHL and NBA playoffs. How about horse racing's Triple Crown and the PGA Championship, just to name some of the major sporting events we'll see in the next few months and have seen the last several weeks. Every event presents opportunities for inspiration and controversy, as well as new heroes and comeback stories. Ever wonder how to get into sports journalism? Well, I started my career at St. Bonaventure University. I attended their campus long before online degrees were a thing. But with their online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism, you'll learn how to find and talk about the most compelling stories, no matter the sport all from the comfort of home. An advisory committee of journalism school alums shape this innovative program. Courses are taught by experienced professors and include master classes led by industry experts. As an SBU graduate, you join a network of fellow Bonnies, including the New York Post's Mike Beccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism builds strong skills and ethical foundations for successful careers. Coursework emphasizes the importance of multimedia reporting and incisive storytelling. Program graduates are prepared to tell stories at the intersection of sports, gender, and race. Take the next step in your sports journalism career by contacting an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. Hey, this is Linda Cohn from ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by CH Insurance, Bonnet Sales and Service, Rosie's Corner, and Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company. If you're in and around central and western New York, make sure you travel through the state. Get on over to Victor and School Street. Man, their beers are so good. They've got the IPAs, the Sours, the Seltzers, the Red Ale is to die for, and the Amber Ale is amazing as well. The official brewing company of the ML Sports Platter is Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company. Visit them online before you go at stumbleandmonkeybeer.com. So thrilled to bring on to the program NFL great, Washington football great, Joe Theismann. We're talking about some kind of career here. Would have been a Hall of Fame career, of course, if he didn't suffer the in-game catastrophic fracture to his right leg that would lead to his retirement from football. But hey, how about it? Two-time Super Bowl representative. He won the Super Bowl of course, in Super Bowl 17. He won the NFL MVP in 1983. He was a man of the year in 1982, an offensive player of the year in 83. He threw 160 touchdowns and over 25,000 yards in his career, and he is a Hall of Famer in the College Football Hall of Fame and one of the best broadcasters as well in recent memory. It is football great Joe Theismann. Joe, thanks so much for a few, buddy. Great, Mike. It's great to catch up with you. When did you first fall in love with football? Oh, gosh. Uh, I fell in love with it probably when I was 10 years old, uh, but my mother wouldn't let me play until I was 12. As a matter of fact, one of my buddies had to dress up in a uniform, come to the house, and prove to my mother that I'd be protected. 
So I, I really started playing Pop Warner football when I was 12 years old. Um, in your career, you know, obviously it was a, it was a heck of a career. What do you, what do you think of most when you kind of look back at, at some of the memories? Is there something that pops right away? I'm sure, I'm sure getting that Super Bowl, hey, it's hard to win even one, right? I, I, that's got to be up there. But is there kind of a moment that maybe somebody might not know about, Joe? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny as you look, you know, you go back when I started when I was 12 and wound up winning the championship when I was 33. Yep. So you go through those 21 odd years or 22 odd years and so many wonderful experiences like, you know, the high school team I played on was undefeated. And this goes back at a time when we were, I lived, I grew up in New Jersey, of course, Rutgers University is located there and they had wooden goalposts, Mike. Hmm. Wooden goalposts, okay? So this is how far my life goes back in the world of sports. And after we beat New Brunswick High School um, on the last game of the season, we were undefeated. They cut up the goalposts uh, to about foot-long pieces, and everybody signed them, and they gave them to us as a memento. As a matter of fact, that piece of that goalpost sits right next to the Super Bowl trophy that I have in my home uh, as a, you know, as a memory of what it was like in high school. And of course, you know, playing at the university of Notre Dame and just running out on that stadium is an absolute incredible experience. Uh, having played for Eric Parsegian, who's one of the most incredible men in the world and, uh, and being able to, you know, beat the number one team in the country, even though we didn't get the national championship, we beat the number one team in the country, Texas, and then to play in a super bowl. And what's interesting, what's interesting is the super bowl winning the super bowl was an incredible experience. But beating the Dallas Cowboys at home for a chance to go to the Super Bowl was the most memorable game in my career for one simple reason. As I stood on the sidelines at the end of that game, they brought in these aluminum seats. Everybody was pounding their feet on these aluminum seats and the ground beneath my feet was actually shaking. (laughs) And it was just, it was eerie, but it was, you know, our fans, our stadium, our hated rival, chance to go to the Super Bowl, mix it all up, and we wound up being victorious. And that was just an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, Skins, Boys, Eagles, Redskins, Cowboys, Giants, Giants, Skins. I mean, the, the NFC East rivalries, man, going back decades. I remember growing up with that stuff in the 80s. And, wow, I mean, every single game was like high high octane, high theater, must watch, you know, summer all Madden. I mean, it was, wow, those were those were some great days. Um so let's get into the uniform, right? Like Notre Dame's uniform obviously is an iconic one. And, you know, you had gotten to Washington and they didn't have a Super Bowl yet, you know, but they had pretty good, you know, pretty good resume prior to. I mean, they were, uh, you know, a staple NFL, you know, team. Uh, everybody, you know, knows about George Preston Marshall and the history. They won some NFL championships. Uh, they won uh, a couple of conference champion. Well, I guess one conference championship before you got there. So they were still kind of a trademark team, and they were always in the postseason. It seemed like in the late '30s, '40s, you know, early '70s. What was it like putting on the uniform of Notre Dame and then the Redskins? Like, w- were were they similar when you put it on? Like, you know, did did you feel differently at all? Because I've heard from people in all walks of sports and in in all the icons I've interviewed that when they put a, a certain uniform on, something feels different in their body. Was that like kind of the case for you? It does. I mean, you know, my Pop Warner uniform, my number, my number was 52. Uh, and then in high school, I was number 10. And then when I put my Notre Dame uniform on at number seven, all of the quarterbacks at that time at the University of Notre Dame wore single digits. 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to think whether it was Rick Meyer or somebody like that actually wound up being the ones that wore double digit, but we all wore single digits. Um, I was Coley O'Brien was three, Terry Hanratty was five, I was seven. Hmm. And so it was it was interesting because everything I'd had was double digit. Obviously I wasn't gonna wear fifty-two and ten ten didn't make any sense because they just didn't give it out. And so and then when I went into the Canadian Football League and I put on my Toronto Argonaut uniform, it was a similar thing. Um, you know, you, you wear that uniform with pride. You wear the number with pride. And you wear the name with pride. And, you know, the name, you see guys all the time today, Mike, you know, they make a play and they point to the name on the back of their jersey. We never, we never pointed. And in Notre Dame, we didn't have our names on the back of our jerseys. So it just would have been, hey, I'm Mr. No Name back here. Um, look at me. But it's, um, you do, you know, it, there's a sense of pride that goes with putting on that uniform. It's like, it's like getting dressed up and go to work or getting dressed up to go out. You want to look right. You want to feel right. Part of it is the way you dress. So, and I was a stickler, by the way. I was an <laughs> absolute you? stickler when yeah. it came to my uniform. I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be right. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, Jerry Rice, that towel that Jerry wore all the time, mm -hmm. there was only one person who could fold that, and that was Ronnie Lott. Yeah. Yeah. That's Boy. how fickle we were about uniforms. Yeah, no doubt. Style and substance then and now, right? It, it, I guess that's one thing that, that, that never changes. Um, were you okay with the name change? I, I just, gosh, it just seems so weird not to call them the Washington Redskins. And then the Washington football team, I actually kind of liked, you know, more than the commanders. I, the, the whole thing seems kind of, kind of weird to me. W were you okay with the change? I, you know, I was, I would have liked to it, to have had it stay the same because yeah, that's who we were. We won the championships as Redskins and, um, you know, every native American that I talked to never had a problem with it. And, considered it a, a sense of pride. Uh, when we won the championship in 82, I was given a chief's headdress um, by one of the, the tribes, and I was flattered and honored in that regard. Um, but as, as time changes and social elements change, you have to sort of move along with them. I was not a fan of the Washington football team. I felt like we were going to play in the Premier League in soccer. Uh, it just, you know, it, it just, it didn't ring. And, and so... When they came up with the name, the commanders, and this is the analogy I try and explain to other people, is when you think of the San Francisco 49ers as an example, the 49ers part of it speaks to the history of San Francisco and the gold rush and all that. When you think of the commanders in Washington, D.C., it's the seat of command for all our military. So to me, there was a logical explanation why the name commanders would be okay. But the other part of it, Mike, is is if you win, it doesn't really matter what the name is. You know, people will get excited about it. People will, you know, want to share in the memorabilia and in the, the merchandise and everything else if you win. I mean, just as an example, and I use this, you have you have the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay. Do I need to say anything more? They're the Pelicans. All right. So, so you know, uh, the Commanders was a name that that evidently, the, you know, the team decided to go with. And it'll be curious to see what happens here in a very short period of time of whether it's going to stay the same. Football great Joe Theismann, our guest here on the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Stanley Law Offices. Um, if you had a mulligan in your career, where would you take it? Uh, Super Bowl 18. It, it wouldn't even be my broken leg. Uh, it would be Super Bowl 18. I didn't play well. 
Um, I'd like to, I, I'd, I would have liked a redo, uh, would have made better decisions with the ball and would have capitalized, I think, on better opportunities to, to get us a second consecutive Super Bowl ring. If, if you win that second Super Bowl ring, do you think that your Hall of Fame credentials change, you know, any which uh, way? You know, my guy, I haven't, I, I, you know, I don't, uh, whatever the process is for the Hall of Fame is, is what it is. And I didn't really think about it. Um, you know, if you win two Super Bowls and you're an MVP of the league, it's a pretty good chance you have a shot at it. Yeah. Um, a lot of times if you win one and are an MVP, you have a shot at it. But, um, you know, it was, I, the thing that I miss most about the game is the camaraderie, uh, the, the opportunity to play with those guys, to be together, to practice, to get angry, to get happy, um, to share the experiences that we have shared together. That's the thing that I miss. I love training camp. You know, when we actually had training camp, I get a kick out of these guys today and I've done, I did the Redskins, well, I should say Washington. Let's go on Washington. I did Washington's preseason for like 10 years. And I used to love training camp. We we had six preseason games and 14 regular season games when I got in the league. We lived in Carlisle, Pennsylvania for a month. And wow. we, had a, we had a ball together up there. Rainy days, hot days, cold days, didn't matter. Practice was just fun. So it's funny that you bring up the whole two you know, Super Bowl win thing and an MVP thing, because I think of Eli Manning and I think of you, you know, Eli Manning, people say, well, he's a Hall of Famer because he got two rings. And you look at the numbers and the league obviously changed greatly to benefit quarterbacks since you have played. And he has 57,000 plus yards. And I'm going, well, I think Joe Theismann might have that in today's age. Plus, if you win another Super Bowl, okay. It's just the comparing and the contrasting of everything. I grew up, Jim Kelly was my favorite quarterback. And I, and I think he was better than many guys who have won one ring. You know, I think Dan Marino is one of the best pure passers I've ever seen. He never won a ring as well. So that whole discussion has always been kind of a conundrum to me. Well, you know, it's interesting when you, when you, you know, every, the way you assess certain situations, everybody has a different opinion, a different way to look at it. I think it's very difficult in professional football, specifically today, to look at it and say that, this particular person is the greatest. This particular person is, you know, the greatest in that area. I think Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback that ever played the game. Although Otto Graham has nine championships. Tom only has seven at seven, but Tom played with so many different combinations of people on the entire football team that he was the one I think that sort of held everything. He was the glue that held it all together because of his ability to make plays but the way I've tried to explain to people, and I don't know if it makes sense to you or anybody listening out there, you have to look at 20-year increments, basically. So let's say from 2000 to where we are today, 2022 being the completed season. Who are the, who are the greatest players in that era? Now you're comparing oranges and oranges. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got Walter Payton. You've got Emmett Smith. You've got O.J. Simpson. You've got Marcus. You've got... The greatest, but everybody played in a different year. I came into the league in 74. We had 14 games. Right. Then we went to 16 games. Now we have 17 games. I think you have to talk. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football today. Where will he fit in as far as his legacy goes? Matt, uh, you've got uh, Aaron Rodgers is another one. Where will he fit in? Where will Josh Allen fit in? We've got a lot of great young quarterbacks in this game, but what is going to be their sustainability? 
to be able to play for eight, seven, eight, nine, ten years? What will they accomplish over that period of time? Dan Fouts never won a championship, but you look at the accomplishments that he has. So I, I really think to be fair to compare anybody, you have to compare it to an era that they play in. This is one of my favorites is, oh, this guy's a thousand yard rusher. Well, if you have 17 games and you're a thousand yard rusher, what do you average? 62 a game. And, and most everybody now are part time players. Yeah. Right now, everybody is is you, you don't have one running back that plays that takes is going to run the ball twenty three times, twenty four times. I've always thought too, like if you're elite, you know, if you're Michael Jordan, if you're Jim Brown, you know, if you're Roger Federer, if you're Serena Williams, if you're Michael Phelps, if you're whoever, if you're Wayne Gretzky, if you're you know Connor McDavid, I mean, throw out anybody, Patrick Mahomes, if you're elite, you can play pretty much in any era, and that's always the argument that I've that I've given. Um, I just I got agree. Yeah, I agree yeah. I just got a couple more quick ones for you. Joe Theismann is our guest, of course, here on the MLSP. Um, you were born in New Jersey. You went to high school in New Jersey, so that's the New York, New Jersey metropolitan sort of area. And here you are, growing up in the fifties and in the sixties. I mean, wow, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, right? Like Colts, Giants, everything's around <laughs> you. Did you fall in love with all that early? Did you have guys you followed who you idolized? What was your sporting childhood like with all of those unbelievable? I mean, Ebbets Field. Yankee Stadium, the polo grounds, right? I mean, wow. And, and, and the NFL's coming of age type of a thing. You would unite us in those battles with Gifford and the Giants. What, what was that like for you in that, in that nearby area, Joe? You know, I would emulate all of them. And my hero was Joe Namath. Joe, yeah. and, you know, and, and when I was a kid growing up, man, I, had, I used to go to the drugstore and buy myself a bathroom rug because that was my llama skin rug. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe used, to chat, he used to just basically <laughs> tap his chest and, I'd walk around and I wore black high tops for a while because of Johnny Unitas. I mean, I, I just, I was, I love these guys. I mean, I, they were heroes of mine when I was growing up. And Joe and I have since, you know, we both played the game and after time and I've got to know him. It's like, this is, you know, one of the greatest people I've ever known as an individual, just a great individual. Um, so for me, you know, growing up in that era with Y.A. Tittle, and everybody, oh, yeah. it was just very, really special. I was at the game when Way, you know, wound up getting the ever-loving heck knocked out of him, and he's kneeling there and, and bleeding in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. I, I was there for that day, and I, oh. you know, I watched the Miami Dolphins play the Jets in New York. And I, interestingly enough, I was in the Canadian League at that time, but I watched the Jets in uh, Miami play in a year that they wound up. Miami winds up going undefeated, of which I yeah. chose to go to Canada instead of Miami. Hmm. But yeah. it's been an interesting road. Yeah, no doubt about it. 1972, of course, Larry Zonka played 15 minutes from where I'm sitting at uh, Syracuse University, and that was a hell of a team. Don Shula, wow, um, what an era. Um, oh, yeah. So you, you transitioned into broadcasting, and you were amazing. I, I, I You're one of my favorites, um, you know, through the years, and the way you see the game, the way you break it down, how you can communicate, um, you know, you're, you're relaxed, yet you have a ton of enthusiasm. What was the easiest part? What was the hardest part about getting the microphone in front of you? <laughs> and the camera, you know? You know, Mike, you know, most of my friends will say, I've never been a microphone I didn't like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, and, I, and, I know, and I know you feel that sentiment, too. I, I really, you I know, do. for me, it was trying to, um, and, I, and I owe, you know, a different individual, John Wildhack, who's the athletic director at Syracuse, sure. was my first producer. And then Freddie Gadelli came along, and then Jay Rothman was the third. Those were the three producers I worked with at ESPN. 
Uh, and each of them helped me learn how to be a broadcaster. I think there's disciplines. You want to talk in sound bites. I, I, I listen to some of the young announcers today, and when the ball is being snapped, they're still talking. Yeah. And, and to me, what they don't understand is the game is not about you. It's about the guys on the field. And, and, and I, just, I was just having a discussion. I do motivational speeches on a conference call this morning. And one of the things we were talking about with young people today in any business is in football, as an example, the what is what you see with your eyes. The why is my job to explain it to you why this happened. All right, this quarterback threw an interception. We saw that. But why? Did the receiver slip? Did the receiver go too deep? Did the defensive back jump the route? Did he miss the location of where he wanted the ball to be? So when I, when I watch a game, I want to hear why something happened. I see what's going on, but you tell me why. And, you know, I put in, I put in a, a good 60 hours a week when I was in broadcasting to, have, to be prepared for the games. Because you don't know if you're going to get a good game. You don't know if you're going to get a bad game. Yeah. If you get a good game, you probably use – I used to have a spotting board. Have both teams, you know, offense, defense on one side and vice versa. If you had a really good game, you may use 10% of what's on your board. Didn't matter. I still wanted to have what we called a full bucket. But if it was a game that was got out of hand or something, now the producer's giving you different tidbits and you're working through your board and information uh, that you share with the uh, with the fans. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, College Football Hall of Fame, unbelievable career, MVP in the NFL in 1983, and a Super Bowl champ as well from Super Bowl 17. It's football great Joe Theismann. Joe, this was amazing. I hope you're hitting him well, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, we just finished the American Century Tournament. Uh, I mean, what a, what a week for Steph Curry. First oh. of all, he gets one of the – like I think in the last 10 years, it's the first hole-in-one we've had in the tournament. Yeah. And it's the 25th year of sponsorship by American Century as well. And then you turn around, and, and now he wins. He makes a 12-foot eagle putt on 18 to win it. I mean, you can't script any better uh, an event of anything in life than what happened with Steph over the last Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, just incredible. What a great human being. What a great person. Uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I was on the fourth tee, which is as far away from hole seven where he got the hole in one you could be. And the roar went on forever. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, the, of course, he, he, you know, he only had about three thousand people following, but the roar was absolutely off the charts, incredible. And uh, what a great tournament American Century put on. And one thing about American Century too, Mike, is this is a company based in Kansas City that give away over forty percent of their net profits to the Stower Institute for Disease and Research. Wow. Um, and it's just how wonderful they are as, 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 a, as a company, and their leadership is incredible as well. Awesome. Well, hey, this was incredible, Joe. Thank you so much. I, again, I've been such a huge fan all these years. I was dialed in when you were broadcasting. I'm still dialed in following what you're doing. I heard you with DA, and he's a good friend of mine, and this was just everything that I expected and more, so thank you. Thanks, Mike. Look forward to catching up with you again. Nothing says tradition like baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and CH insurance. Hi, this is Joe Convertino, Jr. Our tradition of exceeding customer expectations is second to none. Play ball! We're committed to protecting your business and family. We partner with amazing carriers like Preferred Mutual and do whatever it takes to hit a home run for every client. CH Insurance, in your corner, 
every day, every way. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.